Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Nothing Impossible on News Radio 1120. KMOX. If it's about innovation in St. Louis, we're going to talk about it right here. I'm Michael. And I'm Travis. And this show is really, there's a lot about food in this show. And not just the food, the kitchen specifically. Well, it, it's about where the food comes from. It's about how the food is grown. It's about whether we have enough food to feed everybody. And it's also about how we're designing places where we want to prepare that food, like kitchens and cabinets. And we're also going to take you to a new restaurant that is more than just about the restaurant itself. It's about boosting the neighborhood that it's in, and it's about a new approach as well as uh, as marijuana culture becomes more prevalent in society. And well, this whole show is about new approaches. That's what I like about it. We get to talk to different people throughout the region that are challenging how things used to be done and introducing us to things that sometimes are controversial, whether it be genetically modified plants and organisms or ca- the cannabis industry. We don't shy away from controversy here. Absolutely. Well, for me, it's controversial probably to tackle uh, any kind of a home improvement project. <laughs> and so we're going to go to Kirkwood and bring you an interview with the folks from a new a facility that is all about uh, what you can do to your home. And it's a story of a couple who they had their day jobs. They were in the office and, and they, they had, had their passion on the side. Side hustle, right? They yeah. had a side hustle that they wanted to switch into the main thing. Yeah, absolutely. And they were successful and they're loving it. So we'll bring you that conversation, maybe a little bit of inspiration for you as well. And we'll also talk uh, about this big event that's coming up over at Venture Cafe where they're partnering with Bayer to talk about the future of really food, what it looks like to feed the world, how artificial intelligence and machine learning play a role in this, and maybe uh, dismissing some of those myths around gene editing, genetically modified organisms, and, uh, you know, can we really feed the world if we can't grow it all just in the fields? And then we'll go to Fried on Washington Avenue. It's in the old Red Oak Biscuit space. And Derek Schultz says it's a it's an ode to marijuana culture, but it doesn't have actual marijuana in the dishes. But there is some, you know, you walk up and your protein is called a nug. And then you choose your sauce and it might be like fire OG. But again, there's no mar- actual marijuana in it, but has already signed a franchise agreement. Before the first one even opened. That's amazing. Yeah. And, you know, we if we think about uh, a nod to the marijuana culture, we've had White Castle in this na- in this, our community for a long time. <laughs> so uh, people got to eat. People got to eat. That's what the munchies are all about. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's great that he's already signed a, a franchise agreement. That's really cool. Yeah, and it'll be fun to hear Derek talk about how he loves the communities that he's in, the neighborhoods he's in, that he hires people from those neighborhoods, maybe who have records. Definitely, he loves people being able to walk to work within their neighborhood. So uh, a wide-ranging conversation with him coming up. It's a wide-ranging show all around food, the kitchen, the place where we eat it, and the future of how we're going to eat. So stick around. We're going to have a lot more coming up on Nothing Impossible on KMOX. Now, back to Nothing Impossible on KMOX. All right, welcome back in. We uh, we talk about innovation. We talk about startups. We talk about big corporations. And sometimes those two worlds collide. 
And there are people that work in large corporations that used to be part of startups. And we have one of those people on the line right now, Jeremy Williams, head of plant biotechnology over at Bayer. Jeremy, thanks for joining us. Hi, good afternoon. I mentioned that you have a, a startup background. Tell us a little bit about your work at Bayer and how you came to Bayer through a startup. So I'm a member of the research and development leadership team here at Bayer Crop Science. And so my team is responsible for discovering new biotech traits uh, for improving crops. So what that means is, is getting plants that can resist pests, resist diseases, can work in weed control systems, have better drought tolerance, and so on. So we we do a lot of work that falls into the category known as GMO plants, but we're also using new breeding techniques uh, that fall into the category of gene editing. We've got a very broad portfolio and uh, doing a lot of things to help farmers produce their crops more efficiently, more sustainably. So I, I got to bear by way of an acquisition. So I was at a small startup here in St. Louis, uh, Divergence, that I helped to start right after graduate school. We were focused at the time on using the newest uh, science, genomics, computer technologies to make the discovery process more efficient. That work eventually led to the discovery of a chemistry, a compound for controlling nematodes. So nematodes are these microscopic uh, roundworms that can parasitize both plants and animals. That was the work that ultimately led to Monsanto acquiring divergence. And so that's how I got to Monsanto and now Bayer. I'm very happy to say that that work is continuing and we're right about to launch the work that came out of that program as Nemastrike, which will be a really excellent way of controlling these parasitic nematodes and provide farmers some really cool solutions for controlling nematodes that, can, that really create a lot of yield losses every year annually. Do you feel like you're able to uh, maintain that, that startup mindset and entrepreneurial mindset working within Bayer? Absolutely. One of the things about Bayer and, and Monsanto before was sort of a focus on innovation, a focus on collaboration, a focus on taking risks, going after sort of really high-value uh, approaches to driving agricultural productivity. So absolutely, although the company is much larger, I feel sometimes as though I'm part of a giant startup. And we're going to see at an event that's coming up at Venture Cafe, April 25th. We'll get the details on that in just a little bit. But, Jeremy, uh, we're going to be seeing some demonstrations of a lot of the latest agriculture technology that Bayer is up to. Is what Divergence was working on, is that one of those? Or what are some examples of what we're going to see? Yes, yeah, so you're going to see uh, some work on artificial intelligence. You're going to see talks on gene editing. So these are some of the newer technologies that we're using to drive innovations in agriculture. I've been told there will also be a few uh, exhibits on NEMA strikes, so you're going to get to see some of the, the work I was talking about uh, around controlling pests more effectively, that work coming out of a small company and then ultimately developed by Monsanto and now Bayer and being launched. So you're going to see a wide range of interesting new technologies and how we are applying those uh, to provide really interesting and important solutions for growers. And why, why would Bayer uh, work with or partner with an organization like Venture Cafe? What does it mean to get large corporates connected to the startup community and the innovation community in St. Louis? So Bayer is new to St. Louis, but we are really excited about working with entrepreneurs to find new ways of bringing value to growers. Because as much as we have 
excellent scientists and great technology, we know there's a lot more that's happening outside of our walls. And so Venture Cafe is, is a place where we can share ideas about what's important in agriculture, uh, make connections with some of the exciting new startups and new technologies that are being incubated here in St. Louis. And so we think this is just essential to being at the forefront of advancing new technologies for growers. And Jeremy, when it comes to, uh, you mentioned Bayer being new to St. Louis, but they've certainly jumped in with both feet, it seems like. We just talked a few weeks ago about Bayer sponsoring the new Geosaurus level at T-Rex and all sorts of other ways that they've gotten involved uh, in the St. Louis community. And one of the goals, I think, is to raise the awareness, raise the excitement so that uh, maybe recruitment might be better. I mean, what are the different benefits that Bayer derives from being more open, having a more open uh, exchange of ideas, and then just generally having people more excited about technology in the St. Louis area? Absolutely. Bayer is, Bayer certainly jumped in with both feet. Uh, there are a lot of benefits to being out and and very, very connected to the community. The first is this is a way for us to, to attract uh, high potential uh, scientists and, and the new tech breed of technologists to the company. Secondly, as I mentioned, it's also a way that we get to see what are some of the new innovations being developed uh, outside of Bayer that we can partner with, we can help to incubate, and ultimately that we can help to turn into new products. And then I think very importantly also, as we are further embedded in the community, this helps with an appreciation for what it is that we do, but also what kind of organization we are. You know, who are we as, as, as individuals? Because as we all know, this is very important to the acceptance of agriculture, to the acceptance of technology uh, by society at large. So for many reasons, I think being out and involved with these sorts of events is critical to the success of companies like Bear. So sometimes this sort of concept, this sort of technology, this sort of science is uh, not easy for people to approach or, no pun intended, digest, uh, because it is quite complex. <laughs> but I did notice that for the programming that's scheduled at Venture Cafe when, when Bayer is partnering, there's one topic in particular that says, if we edit it, will you eat it? And it's Gene Editing <laughs> 101. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that and what people, uh, how can we make this sort of topic more approachable for the general public? And this one is very close to my heart. In fact, uh, one of the members of my team will be presenting uh, Annie Salterikos at, at, at the event. Gene editing is a new technology that's based on natural processes that allow us to make very precise changes in genomes without introducing any new genetic material to the organism. This is very important for agriculture, but it's also being looked at very seriously in human health. Uh, for example, looking at whether or not we can cure sickle cell anemia by making specific changes to reverse that particular deficiency. And on the crop protection uh, agriculture side, we think this will allow us to develop plants with beneficial properties much more quickly. And ultimately, we hope also with greater acceptance by society at large because, as you know, there's been a lot of controversy around GMO plants. GMO plants are very safe, and the science has been very clear on this, but nevertheless, the public doesn't quite understand what that means. One of the future benefits of gene editing, we think, is the fact that this is all based on the organism's natural DNA, you're not introducing anything new into the plant or into the animal. 
ultimately we're hoping people understand that that is a way of optimizing systems, optimizing plants to produce better solutions, do it much more quickly, and to ultimately have a system that's even more sustainable uh, when you think about how we're going to feed many, many new people that are being born every year, many new people who want to have better diets. This is a way of us producing and producing things much more sustainably. And the hope is that as we talk with consumers about this, as we talk in very easy-to-understand language, it will help to create more acceptance for the technology ultimately. So, Jeremy, thanks so much for joining us, and people can learn more about this and check out the entire event, which will be April 25th over at Venture Cafe in the Cortex, 3 p.m. to 8 p.m. Jeremy, thank you so much, and have a great day. Thank you. Jeremy Williams, head of plant biotechnology at Bayer. Coming up next, so we've talked about food. We'll bring you to a new restaurant on Washington Avenue called Fried. Up next on Nothing Impossible on KMOX. Now, back to Nothing Impossible on KMOX. And now let's go to Kirkwood for a conversation that KMOX News Director Beth Coughlin had with Nicole Gens of Rescued Furnishings about the space that they've opened, not just for their furniture and kitchen remodeling business, but as a marketplace for other businesses like theirs. So what we do is kind of interesting because we actually are a home renovation company. We This all started because we wanted a showroom for our cabinetry. We custom build everything in-house. So whether it's built-ins or adding onto a kitchen or a full kitchen replacement, we do all of that ourselves. So it didn't make a lot of sense to me to have a showroom without things for sale. And if I was going to sell things, I wanted them to be things I liked. And so it just kind of snowballed and we ended up with a store in the city and people really liked it. They liked how it was set up. And then I started wanting to have certain things that we couldn't fit. And our kitchen cabinetry business was also growing, so we needed more room for both. And so for about a year, uh, I looked for a place that we could do everything. And over the course of the year, it kind of evolved into me really wanting to find a place where we could bring in more local businesses. We had local businesses at our other store, and it was something I really wanted to feature. We have a free monthly meetup for local businesses, so it's one of my passions to help them. So we wanted a way to figure that out. And so we found this building, which it's so big, it allows us to do all the things we wanted to do. And we have, I think, about 60 businesses represented from in the U.S. Um, 50 of them are from the area, and about 45 have their own actual spaces in the store. So. Our goal is to have home handmade, found, and um, small business. Do you know if most of the businesses like didn't have their own brick and mortar before? A lot didn't. Mm-hmm. Some are in several stores, but a lot, this is their first time, and some of them say it's their dream coming true. And I think that's so sweet, but... I don't think their dream is going to stop here. I think it's going to get bigger. You know, every step of a business, you kind of come up with new goals. So, Talk about how you got into kitchen remodeling in the first place. We used to be engineers. We did it 
we got married really young, so we did things for our, ourselves and we started helping friends with their things. And one of my friends who was also an engineer convinced me to start the business and it was just a hobby. So we gave it a name and it was a hobby. <laughs> and the next thing you know, we're starting to go to work with paint on our hands more and more. And I ended up leaving my job and that at that time is when we added kitchen painting. And then about a year later, Brent had to leave his job because I was having him help me with carpentry add-ons and crown molding and too many things for him to do on nights and weekends. So the next thing you know, we're doing whole home kitchen renovations. Wow, so it really just evolved. It did. From what you yeah. really liked to do. Yeah. What more do you want to tell me about the kinds of things that are in your store? So this is radio. So if you could kind of describe, you know, kind of the feel and the flavor that you're going for in this space. There is literally something for everybody here. When you walk in, you can see how to renovate your home from built-ins to a built-in bar to a kitchen. We have a DIY space, so you can learn how to do it yourself. And then we have vignettes everywhere. So you can actually see stuff how it's going to look in your house. We have actual bedrooms set up. We have actual nurseries set up. We have actual kitchen tables set up. And it's not like there's 25 of one thing on that table. It's It looks like your kitchen table. And so that was our goal is so it could look and feel like your house. And our, you know, we are very budget conscious and we are also, I have learned the hard way, probably like a lot of people, that you want quality. And so there's things that you prioritize and things that you don't want to spend a lot of money on and things that you do. So we really try to be conscious in that way of having something for everybody at different price points. And so that's something that will always be changing. You know, we have more expensive tables and less expensive tables. And some of that is because some are made in China, some are made in the US and some are made right here in St. Louis. And so that part of it will always be changing, but we are feel and this is kind of the cool part of having a 20,000 square foot store is we get to kind of experiment with lots of different looks. So we have, um, you know, glam, we have rustic, we have vintage, we have farmhouse, we kind of have all of it, but our personal house is a mashup of those things. And so that's kind of how our store looks is eclectic is probably the best way for it. What are some of your favorite things in the kitchen? Like if you had a favorite, do you know what I mean? Like a, even if it's just decorative or functional or not, like what makes a good, like what do you like in your kitchen? My favorite thing in a kitchen is organization. So the nice thing about building custom is you can customize all of your organization, but you can spend definitely a small fortune on the inside of your cabinets. <laughs> but my favorite part is organization. I also love handles. So I love kind of, I think handles pull a kitchen together, whether it's your backsplash tile and your cabinets, the handles for me are what can really make a kitchen. Are you able to, I mean, this is a huge venture. Are you still able to do those kinds of intimate projects that kind of got you going in this direction? We do about one and a half to two kitchens every single week. So that has not slowed down at all. We're actually booking for June right now. Like a lot of things I'm looking at are gutsy. Do you know what I mean? A little sass, a few bad words, um, not everything. Yeah. Edgy, fresh, different, like, I mean, there is just like a little bit of everything in here. Yeah, we do have a few things that are a little sassy. I'm, I'm 
sassier in real life than I am on Facebook. Um, but the thing that's fun about that and what I loved about the Lafayette store and we actually keep certain things in certain places for the sole purpose of being able to hear people laugh because it is hysterical. I love it when a group of people come in and they read something and it just gets them laughing. And so that is a really fun thing. And some, you know, some people get offended, but there's a, we really don't have that much of it. So it's fine. It's fine. Why did you decide here versus downtown? I actually would have loved to stay in the city and our other stores in the city. And we hope to actually reopen the retail part of it um, around the holidays, but we couldn't do all the things at once. We had a really hard time finding the a size of the building that met all of our needs. And so, it, like I said, it took almost a year to find something. And our business, our, the first place we ever rented was actually in Kirkwood. So it, you know, we had a couple of requirements and we had some buildings that we had offers. We tried to negotiate. We could fall in love with, but there were certain things that weren't right. And so we really tried to focus on specifically what we were looking for, which was hard at times because we found some great buildings, but they just didn't check all the boxes. Can you talk a little bit about like the state of small business in St. Louis? I don't have a small business and I don't have any friends that have a small business, so I really have no idea. Like, can you tell me a little bit about that? I think... St. Louis has not had a great history of supporting small business, not the people, but um, government-wise. And I think that has changed a lot in the last few years. So I think for the first time, good morning, sorry. I think for the first time in a long time, small businesses are feeling really encouraged in St. Louis. And I think some of that is because of Facebook and the spotlight that Facebook put on small business. Um, but I also think that St. Louis has a lot of tech startups. And even though that's not what I do anymore, I used to be in technology, uh, I think that has really helped the state of St. Louis, especially the downtown area, kind of by Ikea, the Cortex. So I think that has evolved a, a lot. I also think the creators movement has helped people feel empowered to do what they have always wanted to do. And if I can have a little just small part of showing people that, yes, you can leave your corporate job and yes, it's scary. People all the time think I'm brave for doing what I did, but I wasn't brave. I'm terrified. I'm terrified every single day. And so I've always said, if you're not scared, you're probably not doing something right. <laughs> so I think it's healthy to be a little afraid or a lot afraid like I am most of the time, but do it anyways and have a plan. And there is such a huge community that really supports each other in St. Louis for, you know, other small business owners. And I think that networking just helps people feel confident and pushing forward. Are you a big pro St. Louis? I mean, you've got the St. Louis t-shirt on. Yes. That type of thing. Are you from here? I was actually born in St. Louis. I, we left here when I was a kid. Um, so I was actually mostly raised in Southern California, but I came back here at 18 to go to college mm -hmm. because my dad's whole family is from here and they have a great big family. And my favorite thing growing up was coming to St. Louis for the family get togethers. And so I was kind of always pulled back to here and got married here. So yeah, I'm not leaving. <laughs> Someone asked me yesterday when I said I was coming here, 
if you used to read, did you used to redo furniture? That's that's how we started. Yeah. Is okay. Okay. That's we actually started with kind of changing furniture. The first thing we ever did was gutting a piece of furniture and turning it into a bar. So we've kind of always turned things into something just a little bit more special than they were. But and that's kind of how we I think really started to evolve is because a lot of times when you want something and you go somewhere to have it done or buy it's very one-dimensional and you're very boxed in with what you can have but our specialty quickly became well no we can do this and so that weird nook in your house this is what we can do in that weird spot that everyone's telling you it just is what it is and if you go to a kitchen company and they said, well, there's nothing else you can really do here. Well, is that really true? Is there nothing else you can do here? And so that's kind of how we grew like we did. And now, of course, we do it all. But yeah, we got started with kind of changing furniture. What's the dream? Is this the dream? What's next? Oh, I have all kinds of things next. <laughs> I think I need to take a minute and prioritize them. Um, our business mentoring kind of had to take a little bit of a break to get this up and going so I really want to bring that back and that's probably my next big focus is small business um, which will be a lot of fun I think that's where I have the most fun is uh, helping other small businesses so that's where I would like to focus um, and then of course building up our DIY program in the new DIY place because that is that room is so awesome before we had a we had a dedicated DIY space in our last um, building, but it was much smaller. This DIY center is massive, and I already have a ton of ideas with what we're going to do what with that. What types of DIY projects do you do? We do everything. So from simple craft classes that have really nothing to do with what we do, like making earrings, things you've seen on Pinterest, to full bar cart construction builds, to... Um, cookie classes to everything in between so we partnered last year with Habitat for Humanity and did an auction and so I am starting to kind of kick around what we're going to do with that this year in this new space because it just allows us so much more opportunity with that. Coming up next we'll go to Fried. Now back to Nothing Impossible on Kangam OX. My name is Derek Schultz. I'm coming to you from Fried in St. Louis, and it is exactly what it sounds like, fried food for fried people, so come and get fried with us. Derek, this is not your first restaurant venture in the St. Louis area. Talk about everything that led up to this fried on Washington Avenue. So much has led up to this, and when I came to St. Louis, I had started some other businesses in other areas, Chicago, and wasn't overwhelmingly impressed by the market. So I grew up around here in Warrenson, Missouri, on a little farm, and my family kept telling me, St. Louis is exploding, you know? Why aren't you even giving us a chance? I didn't believe them. I just flat out, I'm like, you guys are just telling me that because you want to see your baby son. That's the only reason. When I came to St. Louis, I found out, much to my dismay at the time, they were right. St. Louis is exploding, and uh, for a young entrepreneur like me, that was really exciting. I when I got here, wanted to make a brand and a name. And I think there's no better place to do that than in food service. 
and I had experience in it. I've worked at event spaces, I've worked in a lot of different kitchens. So it's something that made sense to me. And I, the saying that always comes back to me is food is the fastest way to people's hearts. And that's really what we're trying to get to here in St. Louis City. We're trying to get to people's hearts. And there's a couple reasons for that. The main reason is when you touch somebody in a way that they haven't been touched before, through an experience. And that experience for us here at Fried is a full sensory immersion. You're walking in to a stoner palace, you smell great smells, you taste great food, your heart is touched by amazing people, right? So my goal in making all of this, Red Oak Biscuits being the first thing, was to form a brand, an impression, and most importantly, a feeling that people walk out the door with. They wear it on their sleeve for the rest of the day. They're digesting, quite literally, the feeling that we have created for them. So Red Oak Biscuits was the beginning of that for me. Second thing is, I think St. Louis is a beautiful city. We have some of the most stunning architecture. We have one of the most amazing downtown districts that I've seen anywhere, with the exception of it's just not developed yet. So, uh, you know, I like to think of myself as a young creative. For me, to have the canvas of St. Louis to start businesses on is a dream come true. It's a canvas that you can draw on, but it's also not like a little teeny tiny small town canvas either. It's, it's this sweet spot. I kind of feel like where it's big enough where you can do big things, but it's small enough that you can actually do them, I guess? Yes. That's what I love about St. Louis. We have all of the amenities of a big city. I wasn't bored when I moved here, which I'm really surprised. Coming from the hustle and bustle of Chicago, I expected St. Louis to not have the amenities, to not have the entertainment, to not have the food scene. Well, hello, we were just ranked number two food scene in the whole country. So I was obviously quite wrong about that. The music scene here and so many different genres is bustling. The entertainment scene is so creative and original. And what I found that's so different about St. Louis City, especially, is the development is quite organic. Now I'm used to going into cities where big developers buy big tracts of land, they come in, they buy all of it, and they develop every single piece of it. That's a strategy of gentrification that I think is pretty harmful. You come in, you displace people, you don't hire people who live in the area, and that doesn't work out for the longevity of areas, and we continue to be in a cycle then of gentrification. St. Louis, on the other hand, I've noticed is a bunch of small, young business owners like myself, bootstrapping businesses. And when that happens, it's the community voting on, yeah, we like this business, we wanna see more of this. And for me too, I wanna to hire people that can walk to my restaurants. I want the people that already live in my neighborhood. I want them to have economic opportunity. That's the whole reason we're starting this. We wanna start as many six-figure jobs as possible. And in an age where jobs are disappearing because of technological unemployment, the service industry is quite a ways away from that. Machines just aren't as good at making food with love as humans are. So these are jobs that aren't going to go away for a while. And that's why I think it's important to create those jobs, as well as to give them to people that are in your area already to create economic mobility. Let's talk about fried. Okay. And what is the concept for this? I think a lot of people might walk in and go, is marijuana legal in Missouri yet? <laughs> Medicinals on the way, but CBD is here. Yes. Kind of sort out where you fall in that spectrum right now. 
fried as a brand. Um, it's more than just a restaurant. But we start with the restaurant right now. And I always say that this restaurant is hand-tailored and completely mimicked off of dispensaries in states like California and Colorado. Our menu set up like a dispensary menu. You start with a nugget, whether that's a chicken nugget or a cauliflower nugget. Then you're going to choose your strain. We have a whole different lineup of strains, which is our word for sauces. So like a sweet and sour sauce is a sweet and sour diesel, which is named after a cannabis strain. Our buffalo sauce is fire OG, named after a cannabis strain. And we're infusing some of those things with CBD, which has all sorts of medicinal benefits. My idea here is we don't want to get everyone rocked. Of course, we want people to feel high because feeling high is good, but I don't necessarily need you to walk through the door high. I just need you to feel high after you've had our experience. That's our goal here. I think there's a lot of benefits as well to ingesting CBDs through eating. It's regulated. You know exactly how many milligrams you're ingesting, and you know how your body digests it. Other forms of consumption are not as regulated, like smoking. What to speak of the carcinogens you're entering into your body. So I think that eating and making that fun is a, is a totally different way to approach medicine. We're used to having the pharmaceutical bottle, labeling our pills by the day. It would be so much more fun if we didn't have to do that. And medicine was just a natural part of our day and was part of our meal, which food is anyway. Food is medicine. Food makes you feel better. Food gives you nutrients, vitamins, minerals, everything that we need to survive. And we've been putting things in food like vitamin D and whole milk for forever. Why can't we start thinking of other things that we need that could enhance our lives? And I think CBD is one of those things for some people. But you don't have to have it. We have fried food, and it's equal opportunity fried food. So if you like Chick-fil-A's nuggets, you're going to like ours better. And that's guarantee. If you don't, we'll give you your money back. How would you describe the aesthetic? When you walk in, the feeling you get, the decorating that you've done in here, how do you describe that? So I always say it's like walking into the mind of a stoner. You don't have to be high to walk in, but we sure as heck want you to feel high once you have. So when you walk in, the first thing that you're probably going to notice is that we have a stoner hall of fame. From Jimi Hendrix, Cheech and Chong, some of the movies that are cult classics like Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. It's an ode to marijuana culture. And I know that prohibition isn't quite over here in the state of Missouri, but medical is always kind of the first step towards a trend. Colorado started medical, now it's recreational. California, the same exact trend. Several other states, the same exact trend. So we're starting the trend here in the state of Missouri, right? So for me, it's important to form a brand that not only works well here, but other places that already have cannabis to get a footprint in the industry. We don't plan on stopping there. We plan on continuing it. So we want that feeling to be created when you walk into the store. So you see a bunch of geometric patterns. Of course, THC is a mild psychedelic, something that allows you to see things that you may have not seen before. Geometric patterns kind of represent that. So in a way, this is kind of entering into the mind, or maybe my mind, of a stoner. Find yourself staring at the wallpaper, making out all the various shapes from all the lines on the wall? Too often. We want people to get lost in here while they're in here. 
Have you done a lot of work going to Denver, going to Portland, going to San Diego, checking out what the culture is like in those cities and maybe what some of the, you know, you go to Denver, you can get on a bus where there, it's like a party on the bus and you can partake in the products and, you know, other cities have their own spins that they've put on it. Have you done any, I guess, kind of recon work in other places and brought some ideas back here? We always do market research. Um, I was more inspired by like late night food places than the cannabis businesses. Uh, one that really inspired me is in Chicago. It's called Cheesies, and they just make a whole bunch of different grilled cheese sandwiches, and they're open until like five in the morning. To me, that wasn't here in St. Louis. Like we had no real late night food scene. There's a few exceptions to that rule. But I'm like, where is the late night food at? The cannabis food scene really hasn't emerged as a market in a big way yet. There are a few things, and I do do my research, especially via Instagram, since I have a lot of businesses here and not much time to travel. I would love to, but I don't have too much time. But the world of Instagram and Facebook gives us an open world to see other people's concepts, how they do it, how they design spaces. I did a lot of research in systems. A restaurant is a system. We want it to be fast, efficient, something that people can get their food in the snap of a finger, especially fast casual restaurants that have small footprints. We want people to get their food fast, we want them to eat, and we want them to move on to the next thing because that means we can serve a ton of people. My uh, chef, Chef Ben, has a lot of experience in different kitchens as a systems expert. So our whole thing is designing a system that can give people a product that is not only fast, but amazing. And that's what we're trying to do here. How does this evolve from this storefront on Washington Avenue? I see the posters for the, and you've mentioned the Fried Fest that's coming up on, appropriately enough, 420 this year. Um, You've got your event business as well. You've got other restaurants under other brands. You talk about these other cities, potentially. What do you see as as being next? I plan to have 30 frieds in the next one year. So we're making some steps and you're going to be seeing some things on our Facebook, facebook.com slash friedSTL. Keep your eyes on it because we're going to be making some announcements on location number two and number three that will be going under construction in St. Louis here in the next three months. So we plan to expand first here in the city of St. Louis to test us as a scalable restaurant. Uh, The ideal number for me is five. And then we plan on jumping to some other cities as well with this concept. And what about as the regulatory environment evolves too, uh, is there the potential for the menu to evolve beyond just CBD in the future? Absolutely. So fried, as I mentioned at the beginning of this interview, we're not just a restaurant. We're so much more than that. We're a brand. So even in fried here, in this location, you're going to be seeing a private label CBD brand. We're going to have our own brand of CBD, our own brand of rolling papers, our own brand of potato chips, our own brand of sweets that are infused with CBDs. As the regulatory environment becomes more favorable to products that have not only the CBD component, but the THC component that's present in marijuana, we will absolutely be exploring all of that. And as we move into other areas that the regulatory environment is already favorable and we have a reputable brand, we will be exploring that immediately. Well, thank you for joining us on this edition of Nothing Impossible. We'll be back next week to talk about more things that are innovative and cool in St. Louis. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? 
Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.